today on Ag News Daily. 15 years ago, I spent a lot of time trying to persuade and convince people that it was important um, to be able to talk about why they do what they do in farming. Happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by my co-host Mike Pearson and Madison Honkamp. And um, I'm glad Madison is taking it seriously today, Mike, because you and I are both <laughs> sitting in our cars recording today's podcast. So if you hear the air conditioning running, it's because it's almost 90 degrees outside and I'm not going to sweat to death while we record the podcast. Yeah, you know, I'm willing to give my all to this production, but I'm not willing to sacrifice my life for audio quality. That's just where I draw the line. Yeah, I'm right there with you. You're just you know, not it's interesting, though. die hard. I'm yeah, not. I'm no. not. I fully admit it. I am. I am a total, uh, you know, fair weather fan of the Ag <laughs> Daily podcast. And today is not fair weather. It is currently 86 degrees outside. And you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm in a, a friend's truck, and uh, when you shut the truck off, it's, it's a very new, very fancy. I feel we're very out of place driving it. But when you shut it off, it beeps, and the little screen on the dashboard says "Check back seat for children or pets." Hmm. Do you have because any children or pets back there? Sort of, I'm not going to look until I shut the car off and I'm going to mind it. It'll be, <laughs> It'll be a huge surprise if there's any children back there. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say to that one, Mike. Do you offer some oh, kids boy. some candy? Uh, uh. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I'd have some explaining to do, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Well, it uh, definitely has been good weather across most of the Midwest. We're seeing planters finally roll. I think it's going to be interesting. Monday we get the crop conditions and the crop progress report. So it'll be fascinating to see what that, what that shows. But I think, and Mike, you can maybe solidify this for me the crop conditions report will only be on the acres that we've seen planted it doesn't take into account the fact that there are still so many wet fields that haven't been planted yet right right yep if if the usda officers because it's the uh, the local offices that go out and compile these reports mm-hmm. if they don't see corn then obviously that corn doesn't count as having a condition so if nothing has popped up You know, if it was just planted this weekend or if it hasn't been planted yet, it will not get factored in. They will only look at the crop that is up. Um, And, you know, Delaney, I'm going to be honest with you. So I had the chance to cruise across to Illinois over the weekend. Did not see many planted fields. The fields that I did Mm. see were spotty. Um, There were definitely big, big wet spots. But all in all, not a lot of yellow corn, not a lot of like super obvious nitrogen leaching this early, which honestly I was really surprised by. Hmm. So maybe the corn or soybeans that have gotten planted might be of okay quality? I tell you what, from uh, Grinnell, Iowa to Western Iowa, the the places I've been cruising here recently, it, it looks halfway decent. I mean, the corn crop is ankle high, which is very bizarre to yeah. see for June 7th, but... It's it's consistent stand. It's consistently green. I mean, I've got to imagine the crop conditions are going to be fairly favorable, which is something that, uh, you know, might prompt a sell off on Monday if if that's what the USDA ends up reporting. We will have to wait and see on that one. That's for sure. Yeah, we will. Um, Speaking of things, we're going to have to wait and see, but we're making progress. President Trump said earlier today that there's a good chance that the United States will be able to reach a deal with Mexico 
over-migration, mm. perhaps before the tariffs go into effect, the 5% tariff on Mexico. But those go into effect on Monday. Yes. So it sounds like they're working today, and I guess they're going to work over the weekend. That and seems very un-Washington-y. That's exactly yeah. what I thought. So don't get <laughs> successful. Today yeah. they're on their third day, um, but they must be making progress. And um, hmm. it, Trump said actually specifically that they are going to begin purchasing farm and agricultural products at very high levels starting immediately. However, if they're unable to make the deal, then they will begin paying tariffs at 5% on Monday, exclamation point, because that was a tweet. Okay. Well, we will have to wait and see how the markets react to that on Monday if we don't get something put in place with Mexico. Yes. Yes, we will. Won't be favorable to the hog market, which we saw today, in fact. Yes. Absolutely. But, Madison, what news is jumping out at you today? Well, I have one one thing that I saw that really jumped out at me about pesticides. And I know this was a huge topic, especially in the news during all the lawsuits through dicamma and glyphosate. Um, But basically, the EPA is this is actually through the 2018 Farm Bill um, kind of solidified this process that they are working on to evaluate the impact of pesticides on endangered species and their habitats. Um, So this will be interesting to see kind of how this plays out. Um, EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler um, did kind of describe this as a broken process. It's not quite in its final stages yet, but the agency has over 600 pesticide registrations to review by 2022. So hopefully they can kind of find a way to get this rolling and, you know, kind of figure out how to kind of go through this process. Cool. 600 currently is the backlog? Mm-hmm. More than. It doesn't give an exact number. It just says over 600. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully they can get something figured out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy. Okay. No, name, name any other business where you can be – 600 <laughs> products behind and still be employed other than the EPA. Really uh, nothing. <laughs> I feel like there's something. I mean, I mean maybe podcasting, but yeah, other you than can that, have 600 like, episodes. like real jobs, probably not. Hey, this is kind of a real job sometimes. Well, real jobs you get paid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do. Suppose. The intern gets paid. <laughs> the intern gets inter- paid. The yeah. intern is the richest of all the Ag News Daily staff members. <laughs> we are doing it wrong, Delaney Howell. I know. I'm aware. I'm Listeners, aware. if you want to advertise and reach a great audience, we can help you out. Please, for God's sakes, call us at the Ag News Daily Podcast. <laughs> all right. Shameless we plug. Still get a whole I like it. Right. <laughs> shameless plug. Stick was plugged. All right. Well, We know now that farm country will officially 100% get disaster aid money. We saw President Trump sign that into law yesterday. It is official. There is no backing out now. But uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue offered comments, especially for those folks in North Florida hit by Hurricane Michael, as well as parts of Georgia and others. He promised that there will be some accountability and that this will move very quickly to try and provide relief for those folks that have been waiting for over a year now for some of that money. 
Well, good, good. Yeah, I mean, they have. I've, uh, as I think our listeners know, as Delaney, at least as far as you know, I am an avid sailor. And yes. I love to go down to the Gulf Coast of Florida, Pensacola, down, you know, and uh, east of there. And the devastation was, was catastrophic. I've got some friends down there, mm-hmm. fellow yachtsmen like myself. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously that's on the coast. That's where the hurricane was strongest, right when it made landfall. But the amount of damage it did to timber plantations, to, uh, you know, other other crop ground there was was devastating. So hopefully those folks will get their dollars. I would really be interested to see, too, because this is coming, like I said, you know, basically a year later. When was Hurricane Michael? I can't remember. Was it last? Hurricane Michael was last uh, year. Fall? I think. It was last year. No, maybe fall of 2017. Okay, well, it's been quite some time, so I would be interested to see a study that showed, you know, maybe there were some folks that were waiting or banking on this assistance package to hopefully get them through to the next year because they had so much crop destruction or whatever. I would be curious to see if there were folks that went out of business because they were waiting for some sort of assistance package and they didn't get one. I'm sure. I'm sure those stories exist. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure terrible to say, but I know. Positive, they're out there. That just makes me mad at the government. Frustrated. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Libertarian Party, Delaney. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got some interesting news. So while we're talking about government and its impact on people's lives, we saw an we saw action of how government uh, can can pervert people's perceptions of things today, this very day on Wall Street, as a matter of fact. Um, We had a terrible job number come out this morning. There was a very sharp slowdown in U.S. job growth that was released this morning. But the stock market rose 1% today. Why, Delaney Howell? Um, We got bad news. Yeah, no, I'm trying to think what would be. I don't know why. Because this made traders think that this will cause the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates. Mm, okay. So now, rather than bet, rather than betting on the bad job news, we're saying, hey, the job news was so bad earlier today that perhaps this will prompt the Federal Reserve to not just pause rate hikes. Yeah, to cut them. And rate cuts mm. back into the picture. And in fact, I was talking to our good friend Ted Seifert from Zayner earlier today on Twitter and uh, the Fed funds futures rates actually are currently pricing in several rate cuts through the end of the year. Well, that's maybe a good and bad because that does indicate, I think, that we're seeing an economic slowdown, if not recession. Yep, it's not a recession. There's a very specific definition. I think we've got to see GDP growth shrink for two consecutive quarters to okay. be a recession. But the fear is, you're exactly right, we could be headed in that direction. Yeah. And that, of course, means agriculture feels that, too. Well, we kind of already are, you know, typically during slowdowns in the broader economy, agriculture shines because the dollar takes a hit, which means that all of a sudden exportable products, which we grow in agriculture, are worth more. But how do you factor that in with uh, trade conflicts with Mexico and China and Canada and the wild card that is the wild card it it only makes sense for export values to rise if we're actually exporting stuff and to do that we need partners well it's all very fascinating stuff nonetheless 
It is. I just thought that was an interesting factoid today. I like it. Thanks for that factoid. It's uh, welcome. <laughs> it <laughs> looks, <laughs> looks like we might Fact- have. I wish you watching on facts, but factoids, that's right. Okay. Well, good. Got another factoid for you when you talk about trade. It looks like the EU is in the final stretch of a trade deal with Mercosur, which is, of course, Brazil and Argentina. Said they are really in the final stages here to get something in put into place here for a trade deal between those countries. Like, how, how close does that mean? I don't final know. It doesn't give me a timeline. Here, I feel like we've been talking about this for I a know. hot minute. Or... I, I do, too. All right. Well, you know, we're going to see we're going to see the Brazilians and the Argentinians continue to be our main competitors on the global stage when it comes to Mm -hmm. agricultural exports. That's for sure. Yep, that is for sure. The uh, I was going to say the only other piece of news I had that I really wanted to make sure I shared today was just some more pressure USDA is getting because of all the wet weather and crappy weather conditions we've had for planting. We saw a bipartisan group of senators from the Corn Belt farm states uh, basically work together to write a letter to appeal to USDA to ease restrictions on haying and grazing of cover crops that farmers usually plant ahead of their so- corn and soybeans. But this year they're they're asking for the USDA to allow a change to rules to allow livestock to graze on these cover crops instead because they don't know for sure if they're going to be able to get a corn and soybean plant in the ground in some instances. And uh, current crop insurance rules bar harvesting or grazing of cover crops on prevented planting acreage before November 1st, but that's still quite a ways away, so they're asking them to reevaluate that rule and potentially make some changes to it. That would be awesome. That would open up a ton of acreage yeah. for forage crops. Going to be in tight supply, uh, given the number of dairies I've spoken to, like we talked about right. yesterday, that might not get their corn crop for silage in the ground. Yeah, I was talking to our good friend of the podcast, Gary Rasmussen, who's up there in the Uper country of Michigan, and he said that has absolutely been a problem up in their area. Wow. Well, all right. Hey, USDA, if we've got any listeners over there with (laughs) some pull, do this thing that is being asked of you. Let them graze. uh, Maybe Secretary Northey, if he still listens to the podcast periodically. That's right. Under Secretary Bill, if you tuned in, let's, uh, let's, (laughs) let's, you know, swing the hammer and make this happen. Let's graze it. (laughs) The other plus of grazing cover crops, I'm sure we will see a lot of tillage radishes go in the ground this year. It will cut down on the rotting radish stench come fall. It's a win-win. It helps consumers. They don't have to breathe in the smell of stinking radishes rotting in a, uh, you know, tillable field. And cattle get to eat. Well, there you go. (laughs) Win-win. All right. I'm a solutions person. That is what I do. Okay. All right. Well, I'm out of news. Madison, Mike, you guys got anything else? What you got, Madison? I have one last thing. I thought this was a good, like, fry-yay um, uh, piece to end on. Um, so it's about the bees in Minnesota. You know, we got to save the bees because they are on the endangered species list now. But Minnesota lawmakers are making a new program to actually pay homeowners in the state to transform their lawns into bee gardens in efforts to counter the declining population. 
So hmm. they are going to allocate uh, over, ooh, no, just $900,000 annually to support these homeowners interested in making their lawns more attractive to bees, um, specifically the rusty patched bumblebee, um, which is indigenous to North America. And I believe it is the bumblebee itself is the one bee that we need for pollination um, for the most part, but it is the one that is declining the fastest. Hmm. Um, And this program will actually cover up to 75% of expenses for homeowners to transform their lawns. Um, And then in areas that, that are identified as high potential for the bumblebee, they will see up to 90% of their costs covered um, with this program. So this, I don't believe this is passed yet. It was just kind of introduced. Um, but I thought that was a really kind of cool thing, especially, you know, in agriculture, we need that kind of pollination. Um, and it's an important thing for the environment and all of that. So. Absolutely. Minnesotans, hey, you're tuned in. If you live in an area with a yard and you want to be completely infested with bumblebees, <laughs> check out this program. It sounds like a great, a great way to really make sure your neighbor's children stay off your lawn. Exactly. Madison, I don't know. Madison, do you classify as a millennial or are you the next generation down? I don't know what. Okay, I'm well, like, that, that piece of news feels of, very millennial to me. Like, let's yeah, save definitely. the bees. <laughs> I'm like in that, I was born in the, at the end of 99. So like mm. I'm in the middle where oh, I really God. don't classify it as either one. The end of 99. You're almost a you're 2000 a baby. Madison. Oh, yeah. You're a <laughs> That's what you're categorized as. Just a <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Mike, why don't right. you uh, rip this Band-Aid off the commodity markets here? Let's let's do that. Let's tear this Band-Aid off. Folks, we have seen tremendous volatility this week. We've seen price swings to the upside, to the downside. That means the value of the commodities that you have in the bin or in the field has fluctuated greatly. Manage some of that marketing risk. Do it with our friends at Zaner. You can give them a call at 312-277-0050 to get some advice on how to hedge your profits or perhaps your losses this year and minimize them. Give them a shout or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. As Delaney said, for producers, this was a day in the red. In the corn market, July corn was down four and three quarter cents at four fifteen and three quarters. The December crop was down four and three quarters as well to close the day at four thirty-three and three quarters. In soybeans, July was off twelve and a half cents at eight fifty-six and a quarter. November new crop down twelve and a quarter, finished the day at eight eighty-three even. And Chicago wheat, oh, Ended its upswing. July down five and a half cents at four oh four. Excuse me, five oh four and a half. September down four and three quarters to close the day at five oh nine and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock again, red on the screen, really led in a large part by the hog market. June live cattle down sixty-seven and a half cents at one oh six ninety-two fifty. The August contract down a dollar fifty, closed the day at one oh three thirty. Feeder cattle, oof. August feeders down two dollars two and a half cents at one thirty seven twenty five. September contract down two dollars twenty five cents, closed at one thirty seven thirty five. And in lean hogs, the July contract limit down down the daily three dollar trading limit at eighty three thirty five. August also limit down today eighty two sixty two fifty was the close in that contract. 
Looking at the dairy market, really the only green on the screen in class three milk. The June contract was up four cents at 1626 with the July up nine to finish at 1664. Without further ado, we had a great conversation with with Michelle Payne, who has written quite a bit about agriculture and especially our relationship to consumers and what we need to think about going forward. For today's conversation, we're joined by Michelle Payne, who is a professional speaker and author for Cause Matters Corporation. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you. Michelle, tell us a little bit then. um, I want to know about the author side of things. What do you write about? Because uh, obviously we like to talk to people involved in agriculture. So what are you uh, writing about in some of your books and blogs and other discussions? Sure. I actually uh, work to try to connect people around the food plate. So pretty much everything um, from gate to plate is what I've used for the last 18 years. And I have written three books, No More Food Fights, which is a two-sided book, including a farm side. Uh, My last release was Food Truth, uh, which came out, I believe, in 2013 with basically the 25 biggest myths about farming and food. And then in November of this year, I will release food bullying, um, which focuses on just that and how we've been bullying and making our food and eating choices uh, with a lot of uh, truths incorporated from the farm and that as well. So most of the focus of my work centers around helping people understand where their food comes from and why we do what we do on the farm, as well as sharing stories from across North America of how food is raised. So, Michelle, how did you get into this? What's your background? What uh, what makes you such a compelling speaker and author? Well, I must be crazy. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I started my business 18 years ago this month, actually, and I had been working for the National FFA Foundation and then had worked in international dairy genetics. So I sold semen and embryos as my first gig out of college and had a lot of fun with that. But throughout the course of my career and working with a lot of different agribusinesses, both large and small, and then farmers around the world, I pretty consistently saw that people didn't understand where their food comes from. Uh, That's very well known today, I think, in the agriculture community. People accept that as the truth. But 18 years ago, I spent a lot of time trying to persuade and convince people that it was important um, to be able to talk about why they do what they do in farming. And I got into it because I was a farm girl from Michigan, and I was really tired of organizations like the Humane Society of the United States uh, telling others how I should be treating my cattle. And so um, that started it all. And throughout the course of, of these years of speaking and now writing books, I've expanded my base to work with food, dietetic, health, and wellness groups as well. Um, but obviously, my first love is agriculture and working with farm audiences. Absolutely. That's awesome, Michelle. So I assume um, in your work now with people outside of agriculture, you get to also speak at events where people maybe don't have a direct connection to agriculture. How do they react to some of the stuff when you're discussing what you've seen um, around connecting folks from, you know, maybe cities to uh, the food on their plate? Yeah, it's interesting because it varies a lot. I do work with a number of dietetic groups and even in casual conversation, right? You know, it's it's almost funny because people will read or they'll listen and they say, well, this is just logic. <laughs> and I say, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, <laughs> but it makes sense. And I say, yeah. <laughs> hmm. And, you know, we, we kind of laugh about it. And, you know, I know people that are out there farming, particularly if you're frustrated right now, as most of us are. 
by this lovely weather and trade situation, um, I think it's easy for us to laugh at people that aren't from a farmer ranch. And it's easy for us to ask why people are asking so many questions or wonder why people are asking so many questions and get defensive. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way because the reality is everybody is choosing food for their families. They have a right to ask questions. Um, just as much as we have a right to ask questions for the people that come out to our farms and ranches. So the reactions that I typically get, um, aside from, well, this is logical, uh, are raised eyebrows. I will openly admit that there are um, some in the dietetic world who don't care for my work because they like to accuse me of being a paid hack and, you know, spokesperson for big agriculture and all of that good sort of stuff. Um, because I'm pretty clear in my support for modern agriculture and my support for all sizes and shapes of agriculture. Um, and not everybody agrees with that, but I'm perfectly fine. And I think what we can do is approach it as a conversation rather than being defensive and getting upset that people are asking questions. Hmm. So now let's talk about food bullying. This is uh, your, your next book that's coming out. What, what is that, Michelle? What, is, uh, what are you hoping to address? What I'm hoping to address is the $5.75 trillion business of marketing food. When we go into a grocery store in the United States, there's an average of 40,000 products in those grocery stores. That's an impossible amount of um, food to sort through. And if you consider that there's an average of five claims, and that's just you know a thumbnail, um, five claims on every food product, that's 200,000 claims that we're supposed to sort through. So basically the premise behind food bullying is that we have been uh, manipulated both psychologically and through our brains uh, to believe that different types of food is supposed to be superior. It's the basis behind all of these claims such as clean and all natural and sustainable that really have no definition and therefore they have no meaning. Um, they're not defined, they're not distinguishable. Uh, food bullying also represents the fact that farmers sometimes bully each other and they sometimes bully consumers because they don't necessarily agree with their choices. Uh, one of the examples I offered happened to be from Nebraska and happens to be a friend who farms several thousand acres and has converted half of his acres to organic, certified organic. And he shared with me some of the different um, comments, shall we say, that other farmers have made to him uh, that didn't know why he was doing what he was doing and weren't particularly supportive. So the reality is in today's time, we've sometimes lost our ability to think critically and have meaningful conversations with people that have different positions. So I wrote Food Bullying to try to help people do just that because I happen to believe that food is a basic necessity. It's at the um, basic hierarchy of our needs, if you will. Um, and we need to learn to have a elevated food conversation. I think that's definitely something that um, gets beaten into our heads a lot too, is, you know, we have to be able to talk to folks. We have to be able to engage with them on a way or a platform that they understand and not feel like we're bullying them or making them feel guilty about their decisions. Michelle, can you give us a little preview of this book? I know it hasn't been released yet, your food bullying book, but give us a little preview about how we go about having those conversations with folks that don't understand how their food is being grown, maybe. Sure. Well, the first thing that I will say is it's not easy. You know, I have registered Holsteins running around my front yard in their pasture right now. And when people start saying bad things about dairy farmers, I get defensive too. So I understand it. But the, the biggest ingredient that I always offer people is to find the common ground. 
Um, so if you can find common ground as a sports fan, as a parent, uh, where you went to college, whatever it may be. But within food bullying, what I try to do is to explain to people that they have been buying bull speak. And obviously the abbreviation for that is BS, but I am not offering up cuss words. It is bull speak. And, and try to offer to people, this is what the label is. This is reality and how the product was produced. You decide. And I think we need to do more of that because the reality is whether it's choice on the farm or choice on the plate, we all have a right and a responsibility to make our own decision. And so I really try to offer up to people specific examples of this is what you have been told. Uh, If it comes without measurement, it comes without meaning. And this is the way that food is typically raised. These are the protocols. These are the requirements. Um, if you don't believe me, talk to the folks that are out there doing it, the actual farmers and ranchers, and make your own decision. And so you I don't mentioned finding. Oh, sorry, no, no, Michelle, go ahead. go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, I don't know if that answers your question or not, Delaney, but that, that kind of gets yeah. to some of the heart of it. I think so, too. Yeah, and I guess I was going to say, once you build that common ground, once you find that thing that, that people can relate to as a person, how how do you segue into the harder conversation? It's, it's always that – I always struggle with that bridge between the, hey, look, we're buddies, to, look, this is what I do in the feed yard. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what I always do is uh, suggest asking questions. Because I think that if you ask questions and you actually listen, rather than preparing to respond, uh, you have the opportunity to really get a gauge on where they're at. Um, I never suggest that you lead with the most contentious issues, so I do not suggest that you necessarily lead with GMOs or animal Mm -hmm. welfare, depending on the person that you're with. And so I'll just ask questions, you know, once you establish that trust and that common connection, Um, So, for example, my friend Eliz is a spokesperson for the American Heart Association, and we actually are going to be starting a podcast on food bullying together because we would have weekly calls, usually FaceTime, so we could see each other, and she would ask me questions about food, and we usually got into arguments, I'll be clear, because we're very good friends, (laughs) but what I would say is, okay, so what's the question? And if you're in a situation with someone you don't know as well, you could simply say, well, what are your concerns about food today? And let them lead the conversation rather than putting ideas in their head. Because so often with our science background in agriculture, I think that we provide people with more information than what they actually want or need. Sometimes they just have a question about why hmm. we do what we do. Yeah, maybe we're providing too much information sometimes. Yeah, what I call it is dumping data or puking hmm. science on people's shoes. <laughs> I like yeah, that. And- a mom, uh, seriously, a mom sometimes just wants to feel good that she's doing a good job and buying the right kind of food for her kid. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michelle, before we let you go, how can folks find out more information about some of the stuff you're working on or how can they get a hold of some of the books that you've written? Sure. Well, the books, No More Food Fights, Food Truths, and Food Bullying are all available on Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Nobles. You get the the drift. Uh, Food Bullying does release on November 5th, but I do have available for pre-orders, which means you can get them in October. But they're available now, and my website is causematters, C-A-U-S-E-M-A-T-T-E-R-S.com. 
Uh, you can connect with me uh, through social media at mpayingspeaker. That's M-P-A-Y-N-F-P-E-A-K-E-R, if you can listen that fast. <laughs> and I'm always delighted to connect with listeners. So please do um, ping me on any of the social channels or check out the website, order the books, whatever you wish. Awesome. Michelle, thank you so much for sharing about some of what you do for agriculture today. Well, thanks for having me and keep up with the good work. All right. Well, again, a big thank you to Michelle. Do check out some of her stuff if that's of interest to you. But also check out some of the great stuff we've got going on at globalagnetwork.com. We've got some good projects in the works for the summer. We've got Madison working very diligently on those. But do check out some of the other podcasts that are part of that network. We just launched a premiere podcast looking at a marriage of agronomics and, and economics. So that is our, our latest one that launched there. I think it's pretty interesting stuff, but uh, do check it I out. I do too. Yeah, I'm a little biased, in, but I think it's fantastic. You put in a lot of work on that, Mike. Good job. <laughs> I did. Check it out out of pity, people. Let's check it out, <laughs> listen to it, and I guarantee you will learn something as well. Yes. And the future episodes are going to be even better. That's right. Good plug. The premiere podcast at Global Ag Network. Com. Or you can find us on the internet at Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter or at agnewsdaily.com. All places will get you there. All roads lead to Rome, as they say. But, folks, it's a Friday. Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.